It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Playoff football returns to Houston as the Texans host the Browns. We're going to talk about that and more on this playoff edition of the bullpen. Hello and welcome to the bullpen, a Texans podcast, a team that is currently playing in the playoffs and is still in line for a chance at the ultimate prize, the Super Bowl, the championship of the NFL. I am James Roy and this is my co-host Tom Chavria. Tom, how are you doing today? It's playoff football prep week, baby. I am to the moon. I, I There's a high that you just don't come off of. Hope springs eternal. You know, we got a chip and a chair, as they say. It's it's all you could ask for when the season starts is an opportunity to play in the playoffs. You you hope for the best possible seed, but any seed is better than figuring out what you're going to do with your offseason. Uh, this is going to be a tough test for these Texans. We've seen this game before in NRG before, minus CJ Stroud, and uh, it did not look good. Uh, I'm definitely hoping for a different outcome this Saturday. And, and let's talk about that right away. So the first time the Texans faced the Browns, I think a lot of us felt like we kind of got ripped off. Um, obviously, Joe Burrow did a lot better than a lot of people thought he would. He did kind of lay the groundwork going into that matchup of like, hey, maybe he's kind of all right. But there was a lot of people that paid for tickets to see C.J. Stroud and Deshaun Watson that ended up watching Case Keenum and Joe Flacco. Did I say Burrow earlier? I think I said Burrow. You did. And I did. I, I yeah, knew what you meant, fault. though. <laughs> Joe Flacco. I'm so glad I caught that because sometimes I listen back to the recording afterwards and I go, oh, that was definitely not what I meant to say. So thank God I, I caught that right now. Um, but Joe Flacco, uh, you know, is, is doing good. Uh, but obviously not quite the matchup Texans fans were looking for. But the real thing that that makes this playoff matchup more exciting is the fact that CJ Stroud is going to play in this matchup. And I, and there are a lot of Texans fans, myself included that will tell you that CJ Stroud is the difference between believing the Texans can win or not. Um, the, the Texans, you know, went one and one without him. They, they had some good fortunes against the Titans, but in general, CJ Stroud is the lifeblood that gives Texans hope or Texans fans hope that the Texans can win. So, how much does this move the needle for you? Looking at this matchup between the Texans and the Browns, you know, number one defense in the league versus, you know, CJ Stroud. Where where are you at on this matchup just mentally? Houston Texans legend 
great J.J. Watt has said multiple times, if you have a, an elite quarterback in this league, you have got a chance to do everything and anything you want. So for me, having C.J. Stroud, who is proven to be elite in this matchup, gives me all the confidence in the world that the Texans can get it done. For the simple fact that when you think about the offense and how anemic it was in that game, because I, I, got, I got to see it firsthand, um, <laughs> when you look at what CJ is able to do, it just it just changes the outcome of the game exponentially from the way your defense is allowed to align to the way you're able to put points on the board, to put pressure on the other team to keep scoring. Um I, I just can't speak enough about how important C.J. Stroud in this matchup changes what the potential of it could be just for the simple fact that he's able to do so much for this team emotionally and physically on the field. Now, to stick with C.J. Stroud and ask kind of a tough question I don't know if a lot of people are thinking about, um, the last time C.J. Stroud played before he suffered his concussion was in New York against the Jets. The Jets are a defense that I would say while you know the Jets as a team are not quite comparable to the Browns, the Jets' defense is a pretty good defense, and it felt like they kind of took away. Now, he was also without Nico Collins for most of that game. So with no separation and no Nico Collins, C.J. Stroud went for 92 yards and was not exactly having the, the best game of his life against an excellent defense in the Jets' defense. We haven't seen him against the Browns defense. Do you think there's reason to be concerned, or do you think because of the combination of Nico Collins being back and you know CJ Stroud being who he is, that that's like not a reason to be concerned? For me, I I would be concerned if we saw him struggle after that game. The conditions that that whole atmosphere being in New Jersey was just so difficult for so many players not named C.J. Stroud. Uh, so many people talked about the turf. So many people talked about the weather. It was just a horrible environment to play football in, and the numbers bared that out. I think C.J. Stroud in his building, and I can I feel confident in saying it's his building now, uh, is a totally different animal. He performs extremely well in NRG, and I believe that while I do respect and have all the – concern of the Browns defense, I do have faith in CJ to be able to navigate and be able to scheme up something with Bobby Slowick to be able to attack this defense in the same manner that they attacked a Colts defense that really stymied them the first time around. And then in the second matchup, they found some positions to exploit. So I I really feel like CJ can move the football and score points against this Browns defense. So looking at another part of the offense that's kind of interesting to watch, um, it seemed like the Texans kind of had to lean pretty heavy on the run game due to how this matchup turned out last time. How vital do you think it is for Devin Singletary to get going, and how likely do you think it is? I feel like Devin Singletary is definitely going to be an X factor. I think that if they can uh, run the football effectively and keep the Browns off the field, that's just going to be more along the lines of the game that they want to play. I think they want to control the clock. I think they want to win the turnover battle. I mean, things every every team wants to do. But obviously, if the Texans are able to do it, it's going to go a long way to seeing them through to a victory. Um, yeah, Motor Motor is definitely a guy that they try heavily to get involved. And they, they try to establish the run probably more than most teams would, given that you have such a... Ferrari that is C.J. Stroud to be able to sling the ball over the yard. They really try to be balanced, and I don't think that's going to change with this Cleveland Brown defense. I think that's going to be important for them to try to keep them honest and use both run and pass and play action I think is going to be really huge. I'd like to see Devin Singletary in the pass game as well because just I've said it multiple times in all of our podcasts. I just don't feel like they do that enough where I think he could be such a weapon in the pass game. No, yeah, and and I think that I mean it feels I've I've said that I think I said this last episode like it feels John Madden esque to say but the you know using the run game to kind of keep the defense honest and give C J Stroud the opportunity to pass is huge. I mean I would compare it to um, back when the Texans had Andre Johnson, Arian Foster, 
Matt Schaub. There's a reason that when Matt Schaub came off those play-action boots that he had no one rushing him and no one near him. It's that because of, because of that threat that Arian Foster was, regardless of how good the other defense was. And so Devin Singletary has shown to be really good um, at points this season, but I think that um, for him to really confirm what he is as a running back and that that for that to be positive, he would need to show up against this Browns defense. Now, one more matchup that I want to talk about from the offensive perspective this is offensive line versus uh, you, the Browns' pass rush in general, but more specifically, Miles Garrett. Um, and and we've spoken at length about pass rushers, and and I've used Miles Garrett in comparisons to Will Anderson Jr. in terms of like the importance of what he does for the Texans' defensive line um, against the Steelers. One of the things that I thought stood out that allowed CJ to really tear up that defense was the Texans pretty much kept TJ Watt entirely miles away from C.J. Stroud, um, and it gave him that time that he needed to get things going. Um, how this offensive line has been up and down all season, do you think that they're capable of, of keeping Miles Garrett out of the backfield, or do you think it's more about just risk mitigation, just kind of getting the ball out quick and like trying to avoid situations where Garrett has that opportunity? So using last game as kind of like a, a, a sample, if you will, I really think the Texans did a really good job of moving CJ around in the pocket or getting him out into space. He ran the football a little bit, which I think kept the Colts, who also have a very good defensive front, like honest and kept them from just like teeing off on him. I feel like that's something that the Texans should continue to do to try to like, like, like you spoke to with the bootlegs and stuff like that to get him outside the pocket and just create distance, create space between miles Garrett and him. I mean, miles Garrett isn't the only guy on their defensive line, but he's, I mean, obviously he's, he's very, very good. Uh, This Texans offensive line, while it hasn't always been together, I think the last like three games for the most part, it's been the same guys. There's been like one or two guys here or there. So it'll be interesting to see if they can do a really good job against the Browns, knowing that if they can buy CJ some time, he's going to be able to have success because he's just proven it out. Yeah. And I know early on in the season, there was um, some statistics being floated around about how CJ performed better under pressure. I think over the the course of the season, it's been, um, it's come to fruition that in, that, in fact, as it would make sense uh, for most people, C.J. Stroud performs better when he has a clean pocket, um, and that's not unexpected. Um, it was nice to see that he could perform under that pressure early on when there was less stability on the offensive line, um, but it's going to be incredibly vital to get some good pass blocking from this um, offensive line on top of run blocking, but I think that if we're looking at the two uh, concepts in general that we're more likely to get good pass blocking from this offensive line. It's just what's been shown throughout the season. Um, but looking at this matchup between the Browns secondary and the Texans receiving core, like I said last time, uh, Nico Collins didn't really, wasn't really there. Um, and then, you know, it was just down the line. I It spoke to me about what Noah Brown is, which is a guy who, when the defense is not, blanket coverage like hold you down and stand right next to you make sure you don't get the ball Noah Brown can get like enough separation to make catches but I do feel like this matchup is going to look a lot like last week against the Colts where it's either going to be Nico Collins putting up close to 200 yards receiving or we're just probably not going to see a huge amount of production from the receivers but do you feel that way or do you feel like maybe there's a way this receiving core shows up outside of those two scenarios. I think that the re- the rest of the receiving core is in line to do better because of what Nico was able to do against the Colts. I think he's going to be the top of Indy's or I'm sorry, Cleveland's bulletin board as a guy they have to figure out a way to contain. I think he's probably going to get an extra safety over the top to try to help him cover cover there which should open up passing lanes for a guy like Dalton Schultz. A guy like Xavier Hutchinson, if Noah Brown's not able to go, might be able to do better in a one-on-one as opposed to having to deal with some sort of a zone look. And uh, it'll be interesting to see which one of the guys not named Nico Collins can produce for this Texan team, who I think is clearly searching for a, a, a Robin to that Batman. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And and it's interesting that you bring up coverage because I had mentioned last week that there's a conversation topic I had um, in regards to the Texans secondary matching up with the Browns um, that I wanted to get at. So let's uh, now is as good a time as any to get into it. Derek Stingley has been known to play one side of the field. And there was a lot of people that saw the way the Browns game went last time. And there's a lot of people saying it now. That that they're like D'Amico, whatever you do, please let Derek Stingley shadow Amari Cooper. Do you think that that's the answer, or do you think that there's a different answer that we're not that we're overlooking to slow down this receiving core, um, specifically Amari Cooper in this game? I wish I had the answer. I wish I wish actually I wish D'Amico had the answer as as how to stop. Uh, Amari Cooper, because it just looked like it didn't matter what they did. They were able to to buy enough time for Joe Flacco to find Amari Cooper. Uh, I really hope that that's going to be the difference in this game, is that the pass rush is going to be there to really limit how much time Flacco has to really pick out Amari. Um, he's really good. <clears throat> I mean, the guy was doing all the things in Dallas, and then they wanted to change, and they moved him, and now he does all the things for Cleveland. Uh, he's he's an elite level talent, and while I would love to say, yeah, the answer is just shadow Stingley and and one on one, he's just going to lock him up. I don't I don't know. I mean that that could be how it plays out. Uh, I think um, whatever the case may be, whatever the solution is, I really hope that if the Texans are to be beat on Saturday, it's not by Amari Cooper because that will just show that. Whatever they did didn't work, and I would hope that the Miko can say, "Okay, Amari's not going to beat us. You may beat us with uh, Elijah Mitchell. You may beat us with Njoku. You may beat us with Ford. You may beat us with Hunt, but you're not going to beat us with Amari Cooper." And I, I really hope that's what we say on the backside of this game: is that whatever the case may be, win, lose, or draw, it wasn't Amari Cooper and 189 yards or whatever that crazy number is that he's going to put up um, as opposed to Amari uh, Cooper had seven catches for 60 yards and they were able to contain him. No. Oh, yeah. And, and I don't necessarily think the answer is putting Derek Stingley on him and shadowing him. Um, I think the answer is quite simple. And that is that we've talked about it already. We, we've, I've pointed it out. The Texans pass rush was severely crippled um, early on in that game. And then throughout, obviously, Steve Nelson came back, but he was injured his foot. And then, uh, you know, Jonathan Grenard went out early and Will Anderson had already been out of that game. Um, So looking at that matchup, it's simple. Joe Flacco was really good, but he was also really just not pressured at all. And another Maddenism here, here we go. Um, When you put pressure on the quarterback, he tends to perform less well. Um, so, So... I mean, simply put, ha- Grenard put that Cam Newton gif on Twitter uh, earlier this week I th- after the Texans clinched, and I think he's back. Um, and if he's back and Will Anderson, even on limited snap count, plays, because um, Derek Barnett's been great. So if Will Anderson's a limited snap count, you know, Derek Barnett and Jerry Hughes have been great rotation guys that have stepped up. If Jerry Hughes plays, because I know he went down injured at one point, Um but if the pass rush gets back to what it's been, I say that Joe Flacco, here's my, I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction before the storybook ending right now. But if the pass rush is, is healthy, I say that Joe Flacco throws for under 250 yards and has another two interception game against the Texans. Both interceptions will be meaningful instead of two useless interceptions at the end of the first half because that was the difference as the Texans forced turnovers from Joe Flacco and neither of them mattered because they didn't make anything of the first one, and the second one ended the half. So I that's my bold prediction, if you will, is that if this Texans pass rush shows up, it doesn't matter if Derek Stingley Jr. shadows Amari Cooper or not. Joe Flacco will throw for under 250 yards and have two interceptions, and I'll go a step further. If this pass rush shows up, Amari Cooper, like you said, might have a lot of receptions, but he will have 60 yards or less receiving. So... There's my bold prediction, number one. I don't know if there's going to be a number two, but you got to set up for part two just in case. So there we go. Um, looking at this Browns offense, 
Um, I have to t- looking at last week, the Texans played the best running back that they played all year, and they gave up 188 yards rushing. Do you think there's any reason for concern going into a matchup with Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt, or do you think that's a one-off because Jonathan Taylor just is what he is? I think there's definitely reason for concern because of the way I think the Texans tried to beat Indy saying, we'll allow you to run the football. We will not allow you to make explosive plays uh, in the, in the, you know, with your receiving core. And I think honestly, the Texans are going to go back and look, maybe they will, maybe they won't look at that game against Cleveland and go, we can't have that again. So I think you're going to see four man fronts that Cleveland's going to want to run against and both Kareem Hunt and uh, I can't remember Ford's first name. What's his first name? Jerome. Jerome Ford have shown that they can run the football effectively. So I could see both of them having big games at the expense of Amari Cooper because of the extra manpower that the Texans will use to ensure that Amari Cooper doesn't beat them. Um It'll just be interesting. Obviously, uh, the guys in the middle, Malik Collins, uh, uh, Khalil Davis, I think I got his name right. Those guys are going to have to have huge games to to be able to stuff the run up the middle. And then the the one thing that I don't think it's talked about enough that I, that I heard on the broadcast for the Colts game is that Jonathan Grenard and Will Anderson are amazing run-stopping edges. So they, they really kind of also do a great job of, of stopping the run. And when you don't have those guys, your, your run defense is going to take a hit. So having those two guys back, being able to help stop the run without having to use the extra linebacking core, or the extra secondary, uh, is going to help them be able to stop this uh, Cleveland Browns offense. Now, another name that wasn't there for the matchup against the Browns that I think is major is Blake Cashman. At what difference specifically do you, do you think Blake Cashman makes? Because personally, watching him in coverage, um, that's my big thing, is having a linebacker who's capable of coverage um, to the extent that he is makes a huge difference. But are there other ways that Blake Cashman moves the needle on defense? I mean, he's one of the leading tacklers on the team. But like to your point, uh, David Njoku's probably option two for this Cleveland Browns team and to have a linebacker, the caliber of Cashman to be able to play cover defense uh, when you have a tight end, who's probably going to move through the middle of the field, I think is so critical. I think he's going to be huge to trying to contain David and Joku because while Amari Cooper had a monster game, David and Joku had a great game as well and probably could have had a bigger game if it wasn't for what I think was the record chasing that Cleveland was kind of doing for Amari Cooper, he set the Browns all-time receiving record or something like that. And I think they were aware of it. But um, yeah, Blake Cashman's going to be very critical to being able to contain David Njoku, I think. Now, sticking with the Texans linebacker core, do, do you think there's another player in that group that's like as critical I mean, I, I think that Denzel Perryman has been great as like that veteran leader who brings that like, you know, hard nosed, like swarm mentality. Um, but personally, I would say that Christian Harris's presence and the way that he plays is going to be major for this game. But is there another linebacker that you're thinking maybe is vital to this game? Christian Harris is the guy because I think of the, the linebacking core, he's probably their best run stuffing linebacker. And he made countless plays in the backfield uh, against the Colts to stop Moss and Taylor when they didn't go for eight or nine yards of carry. So uh, I think he's going to be really big. If what we think plays out, he's going to be integral to them being able to stop the run with a limited uh, number. No, yeah. And, And then last question about the defense. Jalen Petrie has been the subject of a lot of criticisms late this season, really throughout the season. Um, I've said it before that it feels like Derek Stingley, I, you know, personally, I think Derek Stingley has to play where he does to cover for D- Jalen Petrie when he gets burned deep. Um, that's usually what I see end up happening. Um, and I think that's something they might play with in mind based off of him actually being able to be there and save Petrie a lot of times. Um, do you th- what, Did you see anything from Petrie? against the Colts that makes you believe that maybe he's turned a corner 
Do you think that the Texans are, are scheming and game planning around, you know, maybe understanding? Because to me personally, Jalen Petrie is more of a, a box player. He's more of an aggressive, hard-nosed guy who gets in there. And what I noticed in the Colts-Texans matchup was that Jalen Petrie was involved more at line of scrimmage, which I think is where he fits best. But, I mean, what what are you seeing? I think this is going to be a huge game for Jalen Petrie because it's either going to exploit him or he's going to correct whatever issues he had. Because if you think back, that was arguably one of Jalen Petrie's worst games to the point where they benched him in the middle of the game. And it really caused a lot of like noise within the media about, hey, is everything all right with Jalen Petrie? Is there issues? Do they feel he's not able to do his job? So I truly believe that Cleveland saw something and attacked him. And I truly believe that they're probably going to try to go back at him. So it's going to be really important for Jalen Petrie to have a great game if the Texans want to win this game because I think they're going to target him. And I think the Texans know that. So it'll be huge to see how he responds or how they use him or where they deploy him to either protect him or try to, I guess like you said, bring him to the line so that maybe he's an extra, he's an extra pass rush so that he's not in coverage because clearly that was a, a point of emphasis in that particular game. Oh yeah, and and it's gotten to a point where the discussion has shifted. There's you know, obviously Kenyon Green hadn't talked about him in a minute, um, but that's a discussion where people are like, uh, like that's one where I'm a little closer to thinking like maybe that wasn't the right pick. There's a lot of people that have moved to like, oh, he's a bust. You know, should have done this. And when you look at the players that were available available when Kenyon Green was picked. You can't help but notice that Kyle Hamilton, who has been doing really well for the Ravens, was there. And so in that same draft where Jalen Petrie was taken, uh, you have Kenyon Green coming off the board at a pick where they could have taken a safety. And there's some people now shifting that discussion from Kenyon Green was a little off and we should have gotten something different there, like maybe another offensive lineman, to taking it a step further and going, you know what, maybe we just don't take Kenyon Green and we draft Kyle Hamilton and then we can use that second round pick on something else. And so... I'm not there yet. I'm, I, I don't think I'm close to that. I personally think that Jalen Petrie is a steal where they drafted him. I think that he he's working through a sophomore slump. And to base your entire opinion of a player off of a couple games in his second season is just ignorant of the fact that sophomore slumps are common and that he is a pro- professional NFL player uh, who can you know definitely take some time to, to fix his game either in the offseason or right now. It seemed that I personally watching him in the Colts game felt like a combination of the change in usage of him with the fact that he's been working on his craft has helped him out a lot. I think the claim of uh, Kareem Jackson and the um, the rise of Houston Carl- Carson um, has given this safety core a lot of more flexibility than we thought they would have with Jimmy Ward on season-ending IR. Um, and, I mean, so if they're going to start situationally using Jalen Petrie and then supplementing him with some and Adrian Amos is another guy. Um, Adrian Amos and, and Kareem Jackson getting play time in situations where maybe the coverage could be a little better. Um, then that makes sense to me. I like, I'm not out on Jalen Petrie. I think it's just a worthwhile discussion to have on where he's at and if he's making the right steps. And I think that this off season is going to be really important for him, but since we're in the playoffs, it'd be really nice to see him, take the steps he needs to now. Um, With that in mind, I'd like to move into the prediction segment of this podcast. And so, Tom, do you have anything more to say about our discussion prior before we move into predictions? I do think it's really funny funny how people are so out on Kenyon Green and people are out on Damian Pierce and all these guys that are still on rookie deals that still have just so much growth that they can have. I I can't remember. I want to say Kenyon Green's really young. Like I, I just, I, I think it's hilarious how how all these experts are like, oh nope, one year trash gone out, and it's like, come on, man! Like the, the NFL is just not an easy sport. I mean, an easy league. You just just we get so spoiled sometimes by some of the other players, and then we're so quick to judge these players, and it's like we're not even talking about a guy that's through his rookie contract yet, like. Well- I agree with you on the Damian Pierce discussion, but with Kenyon Green, um, I think an important point to make is is that we've had other guards step into his position and play it 
as well if, as him, if not a lot better. Um, and those guys were either acquired through free agency or trades um, and did not cost the same amount of draft capital. When you take someone in the top 15 picks and they're not immediately like top fit to me, a top 15 pick is someone who should be ready to start and play at a decent level right away. And so that's why the alarm is raised a lot quicker when the play isn't there. Now, like I said, I'm not out. I'm closer to being out on Kenyon green because of his draft position. And it's a, it's a shame that that's the way it is, right? That, that we, we live in a world where, you know, Justin Fields after one season, everyone's out on him because he was picked in the top 10 but like, you know, Brock Purdy has an off game and no one talks about it because he was picked in the last, you know, the last pick in the draft. And, you know, he just needs a, a, a he had an off game. He'll be back next week. Um, and But draft position affects those discussions. And it, it also can be to a detriment. I mean, Brock Purdy is called a system quarterback and a lot of people discount what he can do because of his draft position. And they discount his uh, presence in the MVP discussion because of his draft position, also because of recent performances. But I mean, that's aside the point. Um, but looking at, I, I mean, it's plain and simple to me, the reason why Ken, the Kenyon Green discussion is happening and why I don't think it's it's out of pocket to have that discussion at this point because of his draft position. If Kenyon Green is a third or fourth round guard, we're not having that discussion because he's a third or fourth round guard. No one expected him to start. He could have potentially, right? Like Jarrett Patterson starting at center for the Texans this season was a nice to have that happened because of a Juice Scruggs injury. But Jarrett Patterson was not expected to start, and no one's going to talk about him being a bust if next season he doesn't show up because he's a sixth-round pick. But if Jarrett Patterson was drafted in the, the first or second round, or we'll, we'll, we'll use that position. Juice Scruggs, if he doesn't pan out, he was drafted in the second round. The expectations are higher, and he needs to step up quicker because for offensive linemen, that kind of draft capital being used on you means you should be ready to step in and contribute pretty quickly. So I don't know. Maybe so, I'm off base. But I feel so, like draft position is what affects that discussion. I feel you are for the simple fact that how many games did Kenyon Green play this year during the regular season? Not a lot. Zero. He had a separated so- shoulder and was out for the season on injury. So while, yes, he should be able to play right away, I, no question. Where they drafted him, plug and play. Availability is the best ability, right? But I can't go, well, he's a dud. When we haven't even seen him play on this team, like everything from last year, I, do I hold that against anyone? Nico Collins wasn't this guy. Do I? Do I now go? Oh well, he can't be a one because he was a bum last year. No, you see him now. And it's like holy crap, Nico Collins is a one. Like I, I have a hard time taking anything that happened prior to Nico, prior to this system. And holding that against anybody till I see him in this system. Once I see Kenya Green line up on this offensive line and can't cut it, then I'm with you 110%. But until I see them play for Bobby Slowick and D'Amico Ryans, I'm going to reserve judgment just because they've clearly been able to A, develop talent, and B, get the most out of anybody. I mean, you look at the linebacking core, Toa Toa, where was he drafted? He's been a key player. I mean, I can't wait till they get their hands on Kenyon Green and can actually coach this guy up and mold him. And then I can go, no, you were right. He wasn't any good. Or or that was a bu- that was a bust. I, I just I feel like this is a guy that has all the measurables, has all the skills, and everyone wants to run a through a brick wall for uh Bobby Sloak and D'Amico Ryans. I can't I can't hold this against him until I see it. So while while Yes, Kyle Hamilton would look so sexy in a Texans uniform playing safety right now. That that would make this defense totally different because he is an elite player, no question. I don't think that the Kenyon Green pick, the I think the jury's still out on that until we see him play for this team and clearly just it, it's too much. And then absolutely. Bust. Well, like I said, I'm not out on Kenyon Green and I do agree with your point. He's had so little time to play in this scheme, so that's why I, I need to see him in it before I say, okay, I'm out. But I, I would also compare it to um, Derek Stingley's situation <clears throat> because Derek Stingley, kind of in, in a similar slot, just didn't really play a lot, um, suffered with injuries, and came back. But like I said, the difference is, is that when you spend a top 15 pick on a cornerback, a cornerback is picked in the top 15 all the time, and sometimes it takes him a little longer to develop. 
Um, but uh, usually they immediately contribute in some way that gives you reason to believe. And so I was never out and I thought it was dumb to have the discussion of Derek Stingley as a bust because when he played, he had shown that he was capable. Um, the problem is, is that Kenyon Green, when he has played, has shown less capable than he should have. And it's a top 15 pick that's spent on an offensive lineman. And when you spend a top 15 pick on an offensive lineman, you expect to get a Hall of Fame level elite offensive lineman um, eventually. But immediately, with that in mind, you expect to get a little more from them when you're spending that kind of draft capital. So you, it that, doesn't that, matter what you me. spend it on. That's me. And so uh, it, it could not be everyone. That's just how I'm trying to justify the discussion because personally, I feel like they're different. And I feel like the talk around Kenyon Green is more justified than the talk around uh, the talk around Derek Stingley is dumb. But with the position that Kenyon Green plays and the draft capital that was spent on him. In the small sample size we got from Derek Stingley, I got enough to say he just needs to get healthy. In the small sample size I got from Kenyon Green, I thought when he's healthy, is he going to play up to the level of that we, you know, matches what the Texans spent on him? Because the disparity, this is me. I'm, I need to clarify. I'm playing doubles advocate because, like I said, I'm not out on on Kenyon Green, but to me, the the discussion is reasonable. And is not as outlandish as it is to say that Derek Stingley was a bust because of the time that he was out. But to look at the difference between like what we could have gotten from Kenyon Green versus what we would have gotten from Kyle Hamilton is not that big of a stretch. Whereas to say that we would have gotten more from Sauce Gardner than Derek Stingley is dumb because we've we've already gotten more from Derek Stingley than we would have gotten from Sauce Gardner um, un- without. You know, obviously considering scheme and and fit and stuff like that, but but for me, for me, and and I maybe I'm wrong, but for me, top fifteen pick on any position, punter, linebacker, lineman, corner doesn't matter. You expect at that position for that guy to be elite. So if he doesn't perform, it doesn't. It's not the same to say, oh well, he's a corner. Um, he is as long as he's serviceable, it's okay. No, it's a bust if he's not elite. You 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 spend a, a a lottery pick on anything, you expect elite because those are the top 15 players of that year. So for Kenyon Green, I feel the argument should be the same that it was for Derek Stingley. I think you need to give him time. And if and if it bears out over time, then so be it. But last year, if if if, we, if we're apples to apples, right? Derek Stingley was a bust last year, according to everybody and their mother. And, and it was the same amount of time that we're talking about Kenyon Green. Kenyon Green could come out next year and be absolute shut down, awesome offensive lineman. And you're going, oh, wow, we just, we just need to let him cook. Because the argument for Stingley now is, oh, my God, we just need to let him cook. And he's phenomenal and a Pro Bowl snub. And the, the, the island that we need him to be that you're on where you, you don't get to play football anymore. And I think Kenyon Green at least needs to be afforded the time and, and be in the system and go, okay, we saw it. It work out. It's, it's the fact that people are just like, I'm already off Kenyon Green. And I'm already to the point where it's, it's never going to equal what I paid for him. And he's no different than Stingley was last year. Here's the last thing I'll say about it, right? Uh, Kenyon Green's still going to get the same grace that Derek Stingley got in my eyes, at least. Like I said, I'm trying to to look at it from the perspective of other people, and I have an easier time justifying the disparity around Kenyon Green than I do Derek Stingley. But I'm going to look at it the same way. Next season, we're going to look six to eight games into the season played, right? Because Derek Stingley, after six to eight games played this year, everyone started to change their tune a little bit when they realized what he was. So six to eight games into the 2024 season, if Kenyon Green is not starting or is not playing well in the starting role, I'm gonna start asking the question of, okay, guys, what it, it, you know, bust? I don't know, maybe, right? But I'm not gonna do that right now. Like I said, it's just I I'm not giving up on Kenyon Green, but I'm a lot closer to that discussion of bust than I was with Derek Stingley because, like, like I said before. Derek Stingley showed us something before he went injured and then he came back from injury and it's like he picked up where he left off and was just a great player. He just needed more time on the field. So 
that's all I'll say about that. I mean, I, like I said, not anti Kenyon Green. I'm not calling Kenyon Green a bust right now. Um, but with that in mind, let's move into our predictions. As is customary on the bullpen, in case you didn't know, if you're listening for the first time, Tom will give his prediction first, and then I will give my prediction with a storybook ending where I try and guess how the game's going to end more specifically than just a score. So, Tom, I'm interested to see what do you got in this matchup. I feel like it's going to be a shootout. And I think where there are going to be some stops on both sides of the ball, I think there's going to be some some explosive plays on both sides. There's too much talent. Obviously, CJ being able to connect with Nico, I think we could see another big player too from that from that side. Uh, I feel like Njoku is probably going to be the guy this time where it won't be Amari, and he could have a couple monster plays. I feel like this is a game that the Texans still can't win in their building. Um, I feel like 28-24 Texans is where I'm at. I think it's going to be stressful. I think it's going to be like every game this year, it's going to come down to uh, whoever's got the ball last. Um, and I hope it's the Texans and CJ leading an epic game-winning effort, um, whether it be to get a field goal to make it a four-point game or uh, something to take the lead. I can't really, I can't really call that yet. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I just don't have the good feel as to where it's going to end. Obviously, you're 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 sitting up in your chair, so I think you have the story ready to go. This is the one, guys. He's been telling them all year long. This one, print it, put it on, put it on paper, put it in the chronicle. It's going to be perfect. Well, to to clarify, I am still Owen forever on getting these right. I've I've not come close on any of my storybook endings, but. Tom has said that I should be a scriptwriter for the NFL, so uh, I take that as a compliment. Um, it's funny that you say 20, uh, 28 to 24 because my score prediction is actually 27 to 24. So, you know, great minds think alike, and we both think that the Browns are twenty worth 24 points in this matchup. Um, so I, I have the Texans winning on a touchdown drive. Um, this is a, a very back-and-forth game, and, and a lot of frustration – um, because these field goals come at times where a lot of people would expect the Texans to maybe go for it. Um, so the setup is is with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Texans are at a fourth and two um, at the Cleveland 15. And everyone's like, you go for it there. You go for it there. You're down 24 to 17. You go for it there. And the Texans take the field goal. The Browns have been pretty consistent on offense. And there's there's a, a, an uneasiness in the stadium knowing that we're already down by four points and the defense is going onto the field instead of C.J. Stroud. Um, and the Browns march for a good bit. And they actually come, like, they get pretty deep into field goal range um, relatively around the 30, 25-yard line. And then, you know, on the last, uh, not the last play of the drive, but uh, they, they drop back on a third and, like, like third and five, third and seven, something like that. And uh, Flacco, for the first time all game, the, the pass rush has been kind of putting him off his balance, but he's handled it well. Um, but he sees it and he just panics and like he's not normally this kind of guy, but he like starts running backwards and all of a sudden he's like 10, 15, 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage and he's just like running for his life. But he's Joe Flacco. He's not like an agile mobile quarterback. So he's now, it's like everyone in the building's like, wow, that is, he's out of field goal range now. And then he gets sacked, goes down. Um, the Browns, smart, smart, it seems like, you know, they decide to punt. They're, they're far enough. It looks like it's like almost, a, it's like a 60, 61-yard field goal. They decide to punt it instead. They don't take the field goal. At this point in the game, there is, it's about the two-minute warning and as we all know, as as fans of the Texans and understanding what C.J. Stroud is, it's, I mean, 46 seconds is too much time. The two-minute warning, yeah, you're you're kind of toast there. So the the Browns punt it. It goes out back of the end zone. The Texans set up at the 20-yard line. C.J. Stroud, I won't I won't bore you with the details, but C.J. Stroud methodically and intelligently drives this team down the field, milks the entire clock. And then Devin Singletary punches it in on like a one-yard run with the time expiring to 
or I well with about five seconds left. The Texans stop to kick it off, but it's you know they kick it off. It's a squib. Five seconds run out. The Browns try some cute like uh, kickoff return play like the Colts did on that punt for the safety, and uh, it doesn't work out. And the Texans win twenty seven to twenty four because Kaimi Fairbairn makes the extra point in this storybook ending. I don't need all that stress, sir. That sounds like <laughs> not a fun time. Um, I really hope they're out in front and they're playing defense as opposed to trying to score a touchdown with two minutes remaining. You know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because to me it is far less stressful. Even understanding what the Browns' defense is, understanding what the Texans are, right? We've talked about that throughout the season. The Texans, at points, like the reason they lost to the Panthers is because they tried to play to the Panthers' weaknesses, right? So I'm not going to focus on what the Browns are. I'm going to focus on what the Texans are, right? No matter what's happened, and you know, before this, this is the 2023 Texans, 2023-2024 Texans. Um, and so I, I look at the Texans' offense and the Texans' defense, and if I have to pick one to have on the field for the game, I want the offense on the field. I want C.J. Stroud with the ball in his hands. I don't care win or lose. I I think 90% of the time we win as long as C.J. Stroud is on the field with the ball in his hands. And a lot of our losses have come in situations where the other team had the ball and and had control going into the final stretch and didn't let C.J. have that opportunity. So that storybook ending was written with purpose, and that purpose is to make me happy since, you know, I would rather see CJ have the ball in his hands to end the game. I just feel like when you saw what happened last week, where there was so much pressure on the Colts on fourth and one, where they were like out thinking themselves, I'd just rather it be the other team. Obviously, CJ has shown time and time again to be able to march down the field when he needs a score and gets it. It's just that that's that's so hard to do over and over and over and over again. And I feel like as a defense, I think with the swarm mentality, I feel like knowing that a team has to go down, obviously you need to be healthy. All we, all of this is with the idea that Grenard's on one side, Will's on the other side, everybody's out there. But I just, I just feel like while CJ is the, 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 the leader that he is and, and can do it all the time, I, I – I enjoy. I, I feel like I enjoy the, the the stop. The fourth and one stop was awesome. I, I made, you know, jumped all over the place. My upstairs neighbors probably are not happy with me. Hopefully, they were watching the game. They understood what was going on. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want it to be close at all. So, but if I have to, defensive stop for me. Well, I told you when the Colts dropped the ball on that fourth down. I I was at a restaurant. I shouted. And I'm pretty sure I ran like three laps around the entire restaurant, just like, just going insane. And and I'm out Who's here in California. There wasn't a single Texans fan in that place. I was the only one vested in that game. And and I'll tell you, it was something to behold. But I I agree with you that I'd rather it not be this stressful. I we've talked about it all season long. If the Texans could just do us a solid and and win a couple of you know easy games. But I'll tell you this, this Sunday was stress-free because the Texans clinched. Not only did the Texans clinch the playoffs, but then without playing on Sunday, they won the division. So that that was an incredible thing. And I got my Salute to Service hoodie in while all that was happening that I'm wearing right now. So all, all around this weekend has been pretty, pretty stellar. Pretty awesome weekend. Tom, it's been real. It's been fun talking about this playoff matchup. Do you have any final thoughts on it before we bring this thing to a close. I can't stress enough that regardless how this thing ends, the Houston Texans are, are so far ahead of schedule and this has been so much fun. And I feel like we're, we're in for a nice little ride with this team barring injury, of course, because you can't, you can't predict those that they're just building something special down on Kirby, as they like to say. And uh, I think, you give uh, D'Amico Ryan's tools to go out there and win football games. I think that he can do it. And I, I feel like Cal and Hannah, you know, seeing them win it, winning uh, that play-in game, they, they, they're as invested as an owner can be with wanting to win football games. Some guys are worried about the bottom line and did we make money? Are we profitable? Did we sell enough tickets? 
those guys were running around with their hair on fire, just absolutely elated for this franchise. And I think that with the position they're in, they're only going to push the pedal to the metal further. And we're in for a nice little ride as Texan fans. I love seeing it. Like I said, last episode top from the top down is where it starts. And then the change in the, in the energy from the ownership has been amazing to see. Um, speaking to injuries, I mean, my final thoughts are, I, you know, it's sad to see that, that tank Dell is going to be on the sideline for this playoff run. I think every Texan fan agrees with me when I say that it would have been incredible to see tank Dell be a part of this and be on the field uh, for multiple reasons. One being how much he, you know, brings to the table for this offense. Um, but to speak to this game, I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's exciting. Um, the Texans are way ahead of schedule. I mean, it's, they're so far ahead of schedule that you could almost say that this is, this isn't even a rebuild anymore. This is just reload to, to get out there and do it again. Um, but you know, it's easy to take that for granted when they start doing better. You've seen me do it all season long and talk about how, well, the expectations change. So the but but yeah, obviously Tom likes to bring me back down to earth and remind me that this is they got to be thankful that, the, that this team has gotten to where they are, and I'm appreciative of that. I'd be really appreciative if next week when we're recapping this game that we're talking about how on no, next Friday we will be previewing another playoff matchup. That would be incredible. But as I'm probably going to say for the rest of the episodes or the rest of the previews for this season as they happen. Um, it's been incredible to 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 talk about the Texans this season on this podcast. Um, Tom, I think I speak for Tom when I say we appreciate the support we've gotten. Um, we're excited to continue to put out great Texans content, and we're already gearing up for next season. We we met in person to exchange gifts for Christmas, and uh, you know we already had our discussions on how we're looking to make this better for y'all. So, uh, yeah, just incredible and uh, lots of fun to be able to do this and talk about the, my favorite team of all time, overall sports, uh, and especially in the playoffs. So thanks for listening. And uh, if you want to find me, I, I'm at M1 Texans fan on all social media platforms. Tom is third coast Tom. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. Uh, we're also on YouTube and, and Twitter are where you can watch full length episodes of this podcast. If you are prefer the video format, if you prefer to listen, there's Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And uh, until next time, stay classy, Houston. And almost Texans. Thanks for tuning into The Bullpen, a Texans podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. Please like, comment, subscribe, and follow along for more Texans talk from The Bullpen. Pick the hand up. Stroud.